Thank you that forgiveness is unending. Thank you that your love has no limit. Thank you that your arms wrap around everybody in the world. You desire them to be yours, to know your heart, and to be your child. We thank you for such an opportunity as this to stand in your presence this morning, to sing your praise to your great name. May the worship of our giving Reflect the gladness of our hearts, the humbleness of our walk. May we love you with all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. spiritual landscape of Christianity, uh, you discover that through the ages there's been a great deal of variety in how believers have expressed their faith and connected with God. And so using the image from writer Richard Foster, we've been talking about these various dimensions and or traditions as streams of the spiritual life. And while some may seem strange to us, or foreign, examples of each one can be found in scriptures because they play an important part of spiritual formation. They add depth to our understanding and our transformation into the image of our Lord. When taken as a whole, prayer and holiness, the word and the spirit, service and worship really are what make up the Christian life. So the first stream we had talked about was the compassionate life, because it's clear in Scripture that God cares about the poor and the downcast. Issues of compassion and social justice are close to his heart, and for some, like a Mother Teresa or a Martin Luther King Jr., faith comes alive while serving those in need. The prayer-filled life refers not just to talking and listening to God, but it's talking about an intimacy with Him, coming to that place where we can simply rest in His presence, like lovers enjoying companionship of the one you love, even when there's nothing to say. This is a life that's common among the monastic orders for whom practices of solitude and silence are highly valued. The holy life is reflected in the lives for whom cultivating their own spiritual identity is everything. Great attention is given to being set apart from the world, developing habits and practices that reflect God's nature. The Puritans and some independent churches are good examples of that stream. The spirit-empowered life is most clearly seen in Pentecostal and charismatic traditions. And while their emphasis on spiritual gifts is what draws so much attention. The primary focus is not gifts, but rather an awareness of the Spirit's presence and leading in life. The Word-centered life is focused on the spoken, written, and living Word of God. 
It's not personal thoughts and feelings, but it's a solid foundation of God's word upon which our faith is to be built. Through it, we know what and who we believe in. And so evangelicals and Baptists especially value God's word and the need to understand, live, and share it with others. And the last dream we talked about was the incarnational life. Through worship and things like the sacraments, daily living, this stream seeks to connect the spiritual with the material world. It reminds us that Jesus is present among us and in us and through us. Many of the practices associated with this stream may seem strange to us but are important, especially in liturgical churches such as Orthodox and Catholic. I don't want to be misunderstood here. There is only one way to God, and that is Jesus. But when seen in isolation, or taking the attitude that my spiritual life, the way I conduct my quiet time, or the way I pray, the way I worship, the style of music that touches me is the right way, is unbalanced. Ignorance and unfamiliarity has often led to criticism and divisiveness with with the thought that why aren't they more like me? Rather than see those differences as a weakness, though, we need to realize they're actually a strength. Like a river gains strength from the tributaries that feed it, the spiritual life gains strength through our differences. And so rather than reviewing just the six streams as I wrap up this series this morning, I want to touch on three of the underlying principles or premise upon which this series has been built. As I mentioned before, I chose the term spiritual formation instead of the more common discipleship for a very specific reason. Because in spite of its very rich biblical meaning, I believe that because of overuse, today when you hear the term discipleship, it's primarily understood as a special study or class or passing on information about Jesus or the Bible. Spiritual formation speaks more to the process of life change as we follow in his steps. Our life in Christ is to be dynamic, not static. It's not just about learning things or performing certain duties. It's about what we're becoming, our formation. So as 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we are being transformed. We're being changed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Unfortunately, what is all too common can be summed up by the story of the passenger plane that had been up in the air for some time when the captain's voice came over the PA system. He said, there's no cause for alarm, but we felt you passengers should know that we've had a slight malfunction with some of our onboard systems. And for the last three hours, we've been flying blind. Our radio, our compass, our radar, our navigational systems are all out. This means that we are, in a broad sense of the word, lost and not sure of the exact direction we're heading. But on the brighter side, you'll be glad to know we're making excellent time. When you look at the spiritual landscape around us, that thought seems apropos. Many of us may be making excellent time going nowhere. Our spiritual life may be stuck in a holding pattern 
while we're busy with a lot of activity. There's all these great Bible studies and seminars and retreats and conferences and even cruises to go to dedicated passing on information about the Lord. There's a proliferation of resources produced in video and print, an abundance of great teaching and preaching going out in podcast and broadcast media. We're doing a lot of things and performing religious activities, but to what benefit? Despite the increase of megachurches and nationwide ministries, the spiritual state of our nation, our churches, and many believers doesn't seem to be getting anywhere. For many, it can seem that their spiritual growth is stuck in a holding pattern. That's why many have described Christianity in America as a mile wide, but only an inch deep. It's like, we don't know where we're going or what we're doing, but we're sure making excellent time. So it may sound obvious, but the first and most basic premise for this series has been that it is God's intent, his desire for all of us to grow spiritually. It seems common sense. He doesn't save you just so he can remain on the periphery of your life. Someone you expect to take care of your needs and provide for you and take you to heaven maybe when you die, but makes little impact otherwise. He doesn't want you stuck in a holding pattern, making excellent time going nowhere. But instead, see accepting him, not as an end, but a beginning. Christian life isn't about just about what happens when we die. It's about the here and now, what we are becoming in Christ, discovering what we were created for, so we can discover that abundant life Jesus said he came to give us. The word abundant doesn't mean more of the same. It means exceedingly, extraordinary. It means he came so we can live over and above what the world offers us. Spiritual transformation and growth is foundational to what it means to follow Christ, to be his disciples, and for that matter, what it means to be a Christian. Here are just a few things that the Apostle Paul had to say about it. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is spirit. Ephesians, he says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. In Romans, he said, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to be transformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In Galatians, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. First Peter said, like new babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. So this first premise, that spiritual formation is God's intent, It's essential. Unless you believe that, nothing else matters. Because if you don't believe it or you don't care about growing in Christ, you're not going to do anything to make it a reality. Your life will be more of the same, maybe with church added on. It'll mean a holding pattern. Busy, going nowhere. A second premise based, premise of spiritual formation is that while it is God's intent for you to grow, it doesn't automatically happen. 
And it doesn't happen merely by being in proximity to spiritual things. In a 1974 commencement address given at the California Institute of Technology, physicist Richard Feynman said, In the Melanesian islands of the Pacific during World War II, the natives watched closely as the American and British engineers came in and built airstrips. The islanders were amazed to see that when the airstrips were completed, planes began to to arrive filled with cargo, food, building materials, machinery, even vehicles. This, they decided, was something they wanted in on. So the Melanesians deduced that if they built airstrips, then planes would come to them also, likewise bringing cargo. They accordingly hacked makeshift runways out of the jungle and built mock-up control towers out of grass and mud. They put fires along the sides of the runways and put a man in the grass hut control tower with two coconut halves on his head for headphones. He's the controller. And they rigged antennas out of bamboo and then waited for the airplanes to land. As far as they could see, they were doing everything right. The form was perfect. It looked exactly the way it was supposed to, but it didn't work and no airplanes ever came. They didn't understand, he said, that the cargo didn't come because of the airstrip and control towers, but because of the relationship with the one who sent the cargo. If we're not careful, we can do the same thing spiritually, going through what seems like all the right motions, but to no effect. And our spiritual lives remain stagnant because we're not working at knowing the one who sends the blessings going through the motions, doing stuff that looks religious, copying what others are doing, but without our hearts put into it, knowing God. We end up making excellent time going nowhere. God may be the one behind our growth, but there's a part we all have to play. There are things you need to do to cooperate with God. This premise carries the assumption that if you really believe it's God's desire for you to grow and you want to grow, you're going to take some steps necessary to make it happen. And intentionality to make it a reality and facilitate it. Things like cultivating spiritual habits and practices, what are commonly referred to as spiritual disciplines. Discovering and cultivating in our own lives the practices that carry meaning and benefits our walk with the Lord. Not just copying what someone else is doing because they find it meaningful. Things like worship and prayer and Bible study and quiet times and service and stewardship and service. Not ends in themselves, something you do because you're supposed to, but things you do because they are a means to help you grow and you want to. They provide the building materials, if you will, that God will use to transform you into his image. As one person said, it's a matter of spiritual nutrition. We must learn to feed ourselves spiritually. For if we live on a starvation diet, we shouldn't be surprised that we always seem to be hungry. To paraphrase Hebrew 5, the writer said, it's time to get off the baby formula and onto solid food. Stop just copying what others are doing and take responsibility and initiative for your own spiritual progress. You know, I'm not much of a gardener, Lola will tell you, I don't like working in the yard. But I know enough about it to know that if you want a garden, 
You have to prepare the soil. You have to plant the seeds. You have to water and tend it. You don't just throw out the seeds anywhere and let it go because left on its own, without water, it'll die. Without tending, weeds will come and take over. Without the nutrients and fertilizer, the growth will be stunted. A garden needs a gardener. That's the nature of the Christian life. It needs attending if it's to grow healthy. In relation to this premise, premise, the scriptures scripture say such things as Hebrews 4.11, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the example of disobedience. 2 Peter 1 says, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In Philippians 3, Paul says, Not that I've already attained all this or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. For brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, biologists so far have found over 10,000 types of birds, over 6,000 types of amphibians, 8,000 types of reptiles, 5,000 types of mammals, 28,000 types of fish, over 35,000 types of spiders, over 950,000 types of insects in the world, and they say every snowflake is different and unique. Every person who's ever lived, has had, no two have had the exact same fingerprint. God is a God of diversity. That's the third premise. It's a part of his nature. He makes things differently and diverse. It reflects Charlene, his artistic side, which he must have taken great delight in at a creation because he made so many different things around us. What it means for us is that we should expect and celebrate diversity within the body of Christ also. God makes us different. That extends far beyond just having different spiritual gifts. And far from being a weakness, it's a strength. We need the prayer-filled life, prayer warriors for whom intimacy with God permeates what they do. We need people whose life is committed to the word to keep our foundation in Christ secure. We need those who are sensitive to the Spirit's leading to keep us in tune with God. We need those for whom holiness is a passion. We need the prophets to challenge us to social justice and compassion. And we need those who will keep the incarnation before us for whom the spiritual and physical worlds come together. Because God is a God of diversity, we should expect, not be surprised, that we might engage God a little bit different than each other. Hebrews 1.1 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Have you ever noticed how many different ways and places and times God encountered people in Scripture? 
Abraham looked up at the night sky and heard God speak. And God said, you see those stars, Abraham? Your descendants are going to be as numerous as they are. Afraid of his brother, Jacob was running away from home when he stopped for the night and encountered God in a dream of a ladder reaching up to heaven with angels going up and down it. Moses encountered God in a burning bush. Elijah was struggling with depression, hiding out in a wilderness cave when he encountered God in a still, small voice. Samuel was trying to go to sleep, but God wouldn't let him and kept calling out his name. When you read the Psalms, you see, for David, it was in nature as all creation declared the glory of God, he said. Ezekiel encountered God looking out over a valley of dry bones. Isaiah was in the temple at worship when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Amos saw a fruit basket. Jeremiah was watching a potter working with clay. Paul heard a voice and saw a blinding light. Peter was in prayer waiting for lunch to be ready when he had a vision of the Lord. And there were 3,000 on the day of Pentecost who encountered God in his word as Peter proclaimed the gospel to him. Throughout scripture, God connected with people in different ways. Diversity. Our spiritual formation will reflect that, which is the point of the six streams we've been talking about. Writer Gary Thomas writes about taking a flight from Washington, D.C. to Seattle. Right before he was to travel, he came down with a really bad head cold, and he knew he needed to get his help with for his sinuses before he got on that plane. He had just moved to Virginia. He didn't have a doctor, so he talked to a co-worker who recommended an outpatient care center for him. He said the clinic turned out to be the medical equivalent of a 7-Eleven store. He didn't have time to go anywhere else, so he did his best to explain his problem to the doctor and then waited for the prescription and then left. When he got home, his wife asked him, what did the doctor say? I don't know. I couldn't understand him. Her eyebrows shot up. Well, what did he describe, prescribe for you? I don't know. I couldn't read his writing. What kind of clinic was it? I don't want to know. I have to leave town tomorrow. The flight the next day, he said, was one of the most miserable flights of his life. In the four to five hours it took to go from Washington, D.C. to Seattle, he said his 30-year-old body had turned 45 by the time he landed, and his head felt like it weighed 50 pounds. He took the medication as it was prescribed. He expected his ears to start clearing up by the next day, but they didn't. They got worse. So after a day or two, he stopped at a clinic in Portland, Oregon, where he was to speak, hoping to get some relief. And the doctor there put him at ease. He could understand what he was talking about. He seemed to know what he was doing. When he learned what medicine had been prescribed by the other doctor, Thomas said his jaw literally dropped. He said, I don't know what that doctor was thinking, but I can't imagine any doctor who graduated from a United States medical school in the past 30 years prescribing this medicine for what your problem is. Apparently, this doctor knows just one or two medicines and is prescribing the same one for virtually everything. Thomas said that experience taught him the folly of using one medicine to treat every malady. Then he wrote, over and over again, We give Christians the same spiritual prescription. You want to grow as a Christian? All you have to do is develop a 30 or 60 minute quiet time and come to church every Sunday morning. 
All too often, Christians who desire to be fed spiritually are given the same generic, hopefully all-inclusive methods, usually some variation on a standard quiet time because it's simple, generic, and easy to hold people accountable to. But for many Christians, it's just not enough. They're not content going nowhere but making excellent time getting there. There's no one-size-fits-all approach to our faith. No easy set of instructions that all of us need to do to become like Christ. In Sunday school this morning, Ryan used a term, though he used it in another context, that we used to use also, talking about cookie-cutter Christians. You know, you make cookie, you roll out the dough, and you get those shapes, and every cookie looks the same. Same size, same shape. Sometimes we try to do that with each other, saying, this is how you grow. You do this, do this, do this. It worked for me. It's going to work for you. Everyone's supposed to do it. And it leads, for many, to frustration. We are diverse. We are different. We come to him and follow him according to who he made us, how he's wired us to connect with him. He didn't make us someone else. And a good place to begin is to begin identifying our primary connecting points. How has God wired you to encounter him? Gary Thomas refers to these as our spiritual pathways, which he defines as how we relate to God and draw near to him. We all have different spiritual temperaments. What feeds one of us won't feed all, and given the same spiritual prescription, he said, to every struggling Christian is no less irresponsible than a doctor prescribing penicillin for every patient. There are various ways people find intimacy with God, by studying church history or theology, by singing or reading hymns, by dancing or walking in the woods. Each practice, he said, awakens different people to a new sense of spiritual vitality. A major point for this series was simply to begin the discussion, to raise our awareness, to encourage all of us to begin to ask the questions, to seek answers. How do I connect with God? Don't just copy what someone else does or go through the motion, but discover for yourself spiritual practices that give you life, that energize your faith. Through them, you find you connect with God. And as you do so, to give each other the encouragement to do the same, not expecting that because it worked for me, it's going to work for you. Learn to cultivate spiritual practices and habits that play to your strengths, that best interface with your connecting point, your spiritual temperament. Because the ultimate goal is not to fit a mold or to be a copy of someone else's spiritual life, but to be transformed into his image. And for that, we need to seek out who he made us to be, how he's wired us. Spiritual transformation, becoming like Christ. It's a call for all of us. How we get there may show a little bit of diversity, but that's good. We learn and we grow from each other as well. Let's pray. Our Father, as we close our time of worship, we thank you that, as your word says, each of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. And as you create us, as we see in the world around us with so much wonderful diversity, so many ways your beauty is displayed and proclaimed through creation. Help us, God, 
to discover those points in which we connect with you. Help us to discover how you wired us, our temperament, our uniqueness, that we might draw near to you through Jesus Christ. Guide us, we pray, to have open hearts and hungry hearts to know you better, to become more like you, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you.